Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, my friends, and happy Monday. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind you that this is the last week to join Podcast University for this enrollment period, if you have been wanting to start or grow a podcast. When I started 3 and 30, I had no social media presence, no big blog or business, I was a stay-at-home mom with a nagging idea and message that I wanted to share. Two years later, this podcast has been downloaded more than a million times by mothers all over the world, and I want to teach you how I did that. (laughs) You can join me this week for a free class or sign up for my full courses by going to 3in30podcast.com forward slash podcast you. Enrollment for Podcasting 101 and Podcasting 201 goes through November 1st and won't reopen until February or March, so don't wait. That's 3in30podcast.com forward slash podcast you for details. And now on to the show. This is episode 105 for the Moms of Littles. Welcome to 3in30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. This week, I have been thinking a lot about moms with little ones. The other day, my kids were outside playing in the snow. Yes, in the snow in October, enough for them to play in. It's kind of depressing. But I had this moment of gratitude when I called out to them and said, I'm going to go take a shower. Let me know if you need anything. And then I went upstairs and spent an hour showering, getting ready while listening to a podcast and doing a little work on my computer. Then they came trudging back in and chatted with me while I made them hot cocoa. And I just realized this was not my reality a few years ago when it was hard to find 15 minutes to shower without little people underfoot, let alone to take a leisurely hour to myself. I was again reminded of how grateful I am to be in this new stage of motherhood later that day when I talked on the phone to my younger sister. She has three kids ages five and under, including a newborn, and she is tired for a very good reason. As she told me about her long day with littles hanging all over her and needing her constantly, I had a flashback to how hard those days were for me as a young mom. Honestly, it wasn't that long ago, but oh, how my life has changed. The years when my kids were little were some of the hardest of my life. I loved them fiercely, but I also felt so out of my element managing all of their needs and their emotions. Most days I felt just so overwhelmed and inadequate, and honestly, I struggled with a lot of depression. During that time, I stumbled upon a website called Power of Moms that publishes articles about deliberate motherhood, and I couldn't stop reading. I felt so understood, uplifted, and known as I read the words of these other moms who were doing their best every day and learning so many lessons along the way. And when I saw at the top of the website that they were looking for article submissions, I knew I needed to write something. 
And so I spent the next five years writing articles for Power of Moms while my little kids napped or after they were in bed. I've always loved to write, but I think it was an extra gift to my soul during those exhausting years because it gave me an outlet for my gifts and it also gave me a way to process all that I was learning about motherhood and myself and try to put it into words. As I wrote about the tools and the wisdom that I was gaining, it helped me to recognize that maybe I was doing a little better than I thought I was. Over those five years, I became more and more involved with Power of Moms. Eventually, I became their main content editor, and that is where I recorded my very first podcast as a guest on their show, Power of Moms Radio. I loved that experience so much, and a little nagging dream started growing in my heart. What if I started my own podcast? I told the story in one of my recent Declutter Your Motherhood workshops when a woman asked me, how did you find your calling in life? She said, I want to invest in myself in a hobby or a side gig or a passion, but it's just not clear to me what I should do. And I told her, it wasn't clear to me either. It's not like one day I woke up and thought, I bet I would love podcasting about motherhood. Um, I told her that I just sort of followed the breadcrumbs of my interests. I knew that I loved writing. So when I saw that opportunity with Power of Moms, I gave it a try. And turns out I liked it. So I invested a little more and then a little more. It took me over six years to uncover what I do believe is my calling. And it all started with submitting just one article to a website about motherhood. So today, in honor of you mamas who are in the trenches with young ones at home, Instead of offering three takeaways, I'm going to read three articles that I wrote for Power of Moms when I was navigating those hard and beautiful years with littles. I hope that these essays will give you hope and give you tools so you can more fully enjoy and yes, sometimes endure these unique years of motherhood. The first article is called The Best Year of My Life. (laughs) And yes, that does end with a question mark at the end of that title for a good reason. Here it is. My son Noah turned one yesterday. It's so hard to believe. A friend of mine had a baby a few days before Noah was born, and she recently wrote on Facebook that this has been the best year of her life hands down. I thought about her sentiment and wondered if I could echo it. I wasn't sure that I could. This year has been overwhelmingly good, but it has also been overwhelmingly challenging. Although I've always known that I wouldn't be a perfect mother, honestly, who is? I think I secretly hoped that I would surprise myself. My husband and I adopted our son after years of infertility treatments and adoption disappointments with expectant moms changing their minds. He is our blue-eyed, wild-hair miracle, our blessing from heaven after many nights of tears and prayers. Before he was born, I started to believe that after such a fight to become a mother— I would surely be an enlightened, wise, infinitely patient mama from day one. I wasn't. At all. And reconciling the disparity between the mother that I hoped I would be and the mother that I actually am was humbling and painful at times, but it has ultimately been an invaluable journey of growth. During the first six months of Noah's life, he rarely stopped crying. Those colicky days were long and very, very difficult. My rational mind knew that these months would end, that I should be more patient and positive in the meantime, but I often held my bawling baby in my arms and bawled myself. I felt jealous when I heard that my friend's babies took long naps and sat contentedly in their swings, watching their mamas work on projects. 
I felt guilty when people who knew of our long wait for Noah would say to me, I bet you were just loving every single minute of this. Because truthfully, I wasn't. There was so much of the experience of new motherhood that I loved, but I didn't love the hours of screaming and the feelings of inadequacy, isolation, and exhaustion. Did that make me ungrateful? Did it make me an awful mom? As Noah got older, he got quite a bit happier, but I still struggled. I loved being a mom, but I didn't always love being a stay-at-home mom. I thought I was prepared to give up my career as a high school English teacher, but I found that I missed my students, I missed my colleagues, and I missed feeling competent at the end of every day. Without the structure of a job with its set schedule and definite deadlines, I couldn't seem to force myself to use my time wisely, and I constantly felt mad at myself for it. It had nothing to do with Noah. I loved him to bits. It was me who I was frustrated with. Looking back on this year, I know there were a lot of times when I was self-absorbed and a far cry from the mother that I'd hoped I would be. And yet, in spite of all those weaknesses, there are a lot of things that I did right. I took good care of my little boy. I snuggled him close, my arms around him, my head resting on his soft hair, as I fed him bottles. It was the only time of day when he was still, and I took advantage of it. I told him I loved him every day, a hundred times a day. I made a choice not to yell at him when he got fussy in the late afternoons, and instead took him for a stroll around the neighborhood, pointing out dogs, clouds, and mail trucks. I let him feed me with his dirty little hands, nibbling on his sticky fingers with dramatic sound effects that always put him into fits of giggles. My baby loves me, imperfections and all, and I adore him. I am amazed by how much he's grown and changed this past year. How is it possible that he's gone from a squishy little newborn to a spunky little toddler? How is it possible that just a year ago he couldn't even lift his head, and now he runs around the house? His physical and mental changes have been so astonishing and so visible that it's sometimes difficult for me to recognize that someone else in the picture has also changed. Though I look very much the same as I did a year ago, I have changed perhaps just as much as Noah has. While he was learning to eat, walk, and communicate, I was learning to adjust my expectations, to hold on through the hardest days, to cherish what I've been given, and to find joy in the simple moments. I was learning to be a mother. Looking back on the challenges, the changes, the growth, and the joys, it's easy for me to see that maybe, just maybe, this has been the best year of my life after all. This next essay was written a few months later, and it's called It Is What It Is. I'm sitting in my car at a red light. My 15-month-old Noah is screaming in the backseat, and I am a ball of frazzled nerves. As we were walking out the door for his doctor's appointment, cutting it close on time as usual, he had a blowout diaper, and now we are going to be late. I watch the minutes tick by. Seriously, how long can one stoplight be? and I start to berate myself for my poor time management. If you would have planned 10 extra minutes for getting ready, Rachel, this wouldn't have happened, I scold myself. When will you ever learn? My negative self-talk continues, and by the time we reach the doctor's office, I have convinced myself that I am a failure as a human being, and I might as well give up on the day altogether. Obviously, my response to this situation is a gross overreaction and may have been embellished a bit for the sake of a good story, but I will admit that as a busy, imperfect young mother, I feel stressed out a lot of the time and I am very, very hard on myself. 
This critical way of thinking about myself and my family is totally ineffective. It doesn't motivate me to accomplish more or to do more. If anything, it actually makes me feel less likely to make the most of the day because I feel so discouraged. A few months ago, I decided that I'd had enough of my negative thinking, and I attended a class about dealing with stress in healthy ways at a local counseling center. We met multiple times and discussed ways to regulate our emotions when we're faced with enormous trials that are out of our control, such as the death of or illness of a loved one, as well as ways to deal with everyday stresses, the types of stresses that are inevitable in motherhood. The most effective strategy that I learned from this class is the use of coping statements when I'm in the midst of a frustrating moment. Coping statements are short, pithy sentences that remind me to focus on the now instead of the past, accept the situation for what it is, and be kind to myself when I make mistakes. My favorite coping statement is, it is what it is. It has become a sort of mantra for my life because it applies in so many circumstances. Sometimes situations that are out of my control, such as when my son doesn't take a good nap and is unbearably grumpy, and sometimes situations that are the result of my own mistakes, such as when I forgot to pay our rent when we were on vacation and we incurred a late fee. It is what it is. Life is not perfect and I am not perfect, and that's just the way it's always going to be. This simple five-word sentence has made a noticeable difference in my daily stress and happiness levels. Now when I'm running late to an appointment because of a blowout diaper or some other unexpected calamity, I take a deep breath and repeat my mantra. It is what it is, and no amount of stressing, worrying, and guilting myself is going to change the situation now. I will face whatever consequences result, and I can apply what I've learned from this experience in the future. But for right now, I am going to choose to let it go. Other coping statements that have helped me when I've made a mistake or I'm going through something difficult include, what's done is done, this too shall pass, the present is the only moment I have control over, I am a human and humans make mistakes, this isn't my fault, I did the best I could in that moment, and when I'm struggling with perfectionism, I remember, done is better than perfect, Something is better than nothing. And will this even matter in 10 years? Through the use of coping statements, I've learned to accept myself and my life, imperfections and all. And as a result, I'm generally a much happier, more positive person than I was a few short months ago. Are these essays helpful? I hope that you are applying them to your own individual situations. And here is my third and final, which was written a couple of years later. It's called How My Son's Routine Chart Helps Me Be a Better Mom. This morning, I found myself lying face down on the wet sidewalk leading up to my front door. No, I hadn't slipped on the dewy grass while going to get the mail or been attacked by a neighborhood mugger. I was down on the concrete on purpose, peering into the garden with my four-year-old son, Noah. We were both on our stomachs, our faces inches from one another, and we were watching in awe as a slimy slug crept its way across a leaf. Rewind 15 minutes earlier and you would have seen a very different scene. I was in the zone, bustling around the house, picking up stray toys, responding to emails, and mentally running over the day's tasks and activities. Noah approached me with his morning responsibilities chart and said, I've done my jobs, Mom. 
Now all that's left before my screen time is our special time. Do you want to go outside and look for worms? Inwardly, I cringed. This was not a good time for me. I was in the midst of a burst of productivity. The baby was napping, and I had a million things to get done that morning. But the chart dictated special time, and my son was looking at me with big, hopeful eyes. So I pushed the mental to-do list aside and told myself, Come on, Rachel, you can give Noah 15 minutes of your time. This is why I love my son's routine chart. I love it because it holds me accountable for the things that are important to me as a mother, the things that would probably get lost in the midst of the urgent to-dos and daily craziness of motherhood if they weren't included in our simple close-the-flaps chart. I once took a personality profile that described me as a perpetual, someone who doesn't feel natural breaks in my day, forgets to eat if I'm in the midst of a project, and has a hard time turning off when I get going on something. I find it difficult to prioritize my long-term values over the short-term satisfaction of checking something off my to-do list. This is a trait I combat every day, especially as a mother, because I want the people in my life to know that they are more important to me than the projects I am working on. In the book Essentialism, author Greg McEwen recommends that people like me design a routine that enshrines the essential. This is what Noah and I have done with this simple morning responsibilities chart, and it has made a huge difference in my ability to prioritize what's truly important over what's immediately visible or seemingly urgent. First, it's important to me that my son eats a healthy breakfast, but he wants to skip straight to playing and I want to skip straight to working. When we're both hustling around in the morning, he creating an elaborate train track and I sorting a huge stack of laundry, it's easy to scarf a granola bar and call it good. But now that breakfast is classified as an important event with a flap to close on his routines chart, Noah and I both take it more seriously. I might even cook up some scrambled eggs and we might share a good conversation at the table before jumping into our day's work. Second, it's important to me that my son gets dressed for the day, and that I do as well, but so often when I get busy with work around the house, it can be 1 p.m. before we're out of our pajamas. Obviously, an occasional pajama day is completely fine, but it was becoming a daily norm for us there for a while, and the chart has helped to reverse that trend. Third, it's important to me that my son learns to work and contribute to the family, but it's often much easier for me to do the chores myself. When we decided to include make your bed and empty the dishwasher in his routine, I was forced to teach him how to do those jobs, even though it took time and effort on my part. I had to endure lots of whining and tears as he was learning, but he now runs into his room and makes his bed without complaint, and he actually enjoys listening to music while he sorts silverware and climbs up on the counter to put away the dishes. Fourth, it's important to me that my son spends daily one-on-one -on -one time playing with me but this simply doesn't happen if I don't make it a priority. Don't get me wrong, I'm interacting with Noah all day long, talking to him as I run errands, teaching him how to stir and measure as I make dinner, taking him to the park to play with friends and reading books to him before bedtime, but I will freely admit that it is not natural for me to play with my son. In fact, playing toy trains on the floor is a mild form of torture for me, but I have learned to subject myself to this mundane activity for 15 minutes per day if it means that I can develop a stronger relationship with my son. We have our special time every morning when his baby sister is napping, and we do whatever Noah wants to do for 15 minutes. Sometimes we play Legos, not my favorite. Sometimes we play Candyland, much more fun for me. Sometimes we look at slugs in the garden, which is surprisingly fascinating as it turns out. 
We set a timer and Noah doesn't complain when it buzzes because he knows that he will get special time again tomorrow. I come away from those 15-minute play sessions feeling closer to my son, more relaxed, and really proud of myself for doing something that's hard for me, but also so important to me. It makes me feel like a good mom, and that is priceless in this job that leaves me feeling inadequate and overwhelmed a lot of the time. Finally, it's important to me that my son limits his screen time, and his routines chart has helped with this as well. He used to ask to watch a show immediately when he walked into my room first thing in the morning, and I often said yes because I needed him to be occupied while I made a plan for the day. Then I would get started working on something, and all of a sudden, Noah had watched three hours of TV. Now that we have a better morning routine, we both know that lots of important things need to happen before Noah's screen time and mom's work time. Eating, dressing, chores, and of course our special time. The chart holds us both accountable for doing first things first. Once his other tasks are completed, he can watch a show. I decide whether it's a 30-minute television episode or a full-length movie, depending on what else I need to get accomplished. And once the screen time flap is closed, we are done for the day. No one knows this, and now that he's used to the idea, he doesn't whine and beg for more shows as the day goes on. And hallelujah for less whining. Our simple morning chart has really transformed and enriched my motherhood experience as it has forced me to slow down and make time for the things in my day that truly matter long term. In the beginning, it definitely took a few weeks for my free-spirited and stubborn little boy to get used to it, but I just kept reinforcing the routine and he now enjoys knowing the schedule almost as much as I do. I know that the tasks that are included on Noah's responsibility chart will change as he gets older, as will the format, because I know he's not going to be closing flaps when he's a teenager, but I really hope that I continue to design routines that enshrine the essential in our home, not so much because it holds my children accountable, but because it holds me accountable for prioritizing the things that matter most to me as their mother. I hope you got some ahas as I read those three articles that I wrote many years ago now, and if you want to read them or see the pictures, as well as read any of my other Power of Moms articles, there is a link in the show notes. As I told you, most of my articles were written when I was in the midst of hands-on young motherhood, so there might be some other essays that you would find useful if you're in that stage of parenting right now. So check out those links in the show notes. And my challenge for you this week is this. Choose one thing from those articles that you want to start applying to your life this week. Whether that's noticing the ways that you are growing into motherhood with each passing day and year, or it's writing out and using a few coping statements when you're feeling stressed or overwhelmed, or it's making a simple routines chart which enshrines your daily essentials with your little kids. Just choose one thing and start. And I have to tell you, I have been reminded of many things that I want to get back to doing. I was way more scheduled and organized and on top of things when I was a young mom, and I would like to bring some of that stuff back in to parenting my kids that are slightly older, so we're going to get a routine start again. Wherever you're at emotionally in motherhood right now, I know you can do this. And believe me, you are doing much, much better than you think you are. When I look back and read those articles, I think, Rachel, you should have given yourself a break. You were doing so well. But I couldn't see that at the time. And I hope that you will take those words and that advice from me and apply it and realize you really are doing a good job. Before we end, don't forget that this is the last week of our annual 3 and 30 birthday celebration. 
And I would love to see you sharing your own three takeaways on social media with the hashtag My3in30. I'll be choosing a few lucky winners who participate to receive a care package from me at the end of the month, or I guess rather at the beginning of next month. So if you haven't shared yet, I hope that you will. Go to 3in30podcast.com forward slash birthday for all of the details on participating in that. As always, I love you. I really do. And wherever you are in the world, please know that I am rooting for you and I hope you have a great week with your family. Mathis, the host of the Cool Mom Code podcast, where motherhood is your key card to the coolest spot in town. I'm excited to give you a behind the scenes, real talk combo between some of the most influential and tastemaker mamas I know. Subscribe and stay tuned for new episodes weekly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so you don't ever miss a beat. See you there.